gospel is a very particular word or kind of speech in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the gospel is God's promise of a son who will crush the serpent's head, forgive the sins of his people, raise them from the dead, and give them everlasting life solely on the basis of his grace for the sake of Christ. If you're interested in the, the beginnings of the church, you know, I think looking at the creed is a great way of, of getting into church history and really seeing where the faith kind of came together. In the scripture, the way it presents discernment is actually the skill that you develop where you're able to identify goodness. And what was surprising to me is that is much the way we use the language of discernment outside of the church. The real difference, I would say, like what patriarchy teaches versus what we should believe is that what they believe about the nature of men and women, that there is something fundamentally different about authority and submission between men and women. And that's not just like within particular relationships, but men and women in general. This is their nature. What are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man. The Gospel never tells us something to do. The Gospel tells us about something that's been done. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. This is Colleen Sharp, and Rachel Miller is my co-host. And... Today we're going to touch on a bit of a deep topic, but an important one, and this is actually one that has come as a request. I think it was in the Facebook group, um, but different aspects of it have been requested too. And we're going to talk about repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation. And, um, you know, we'll talk a little bit about those things in regards to us and God, and but also in our everyday lives, um, how those things play out biblically or how they should should play out biblically. And we'll have some resources in the episode notes too. Rachel has written something um, that I'll be quoting from today. And I know it's it's a difficult topic to work through. And I think a lot of people have had different things in their life, whether they're trying to understand repentance before God um, I was watching a core Christianity and somebody said, I don't know if I've repented well enough. You know, and I think sometimes mm. people uh, wonder that, but then also knowing what does it look like to repent to someone I've sinned against and what does it look like to forgive somebody who has sinned against me? And then also reconciliation, which is separate from repentance. I kind of think sometimes people almost use forgiveness and reconciliation in some contexts, like they're the same thing, but they are not. So, well, I, you know me, I always go to that Bible dictionary, and there was so much. I went to like three Bible dictionaries, and no one gave me just a two-line um, <laughs> definition of repentance. And so, I kind of took a couple things from within the, the Bible dictionary, and on repentance, it's more commonly the translation is turn or return, to turn from evil and to turn to good is another definition, a changing of the mind or a turning from sin to God. So I thought those little descriptions were helpful. And maybe you can talk about what 
the Westminster Confession and Catechism say? You know, I remember my dad doing a, um, it was a VBS lesson uh, when I was a kid and he, he used a, a illustration and he had a kid up front to throw a ball at like a, a stack of blocks. And he says, okay, but then he turned him. So his back was to it. He goes, do you think you can hit it now? And the kid's like, no, <laughs> I'm the wrong way. And so he turned him around to face the right way. He goes, this is repentance, right? It's the turning yes. around, the turning. And changing directions. Changing direction, 180 degrees. You go in the other way. Uh, and that's really stuck with me clearly because I still remember the it very vividly. Um, but That's a good uh, analogy. I like that. Yeah. He, he did a bunch of good illustrations like that sermons. Um, Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 87, what is repentance unto life? And repentance unto life is a saving grace whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, does with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. And there's so much there. It's very rich description and definition. Um, It's a saving grace. You know, grace means it's given from God. This is about the mercy of God, right? This is, um, you know, this is not a work on our part, but this is a, something that is given to us in salvation. Um, We are given new hearts. We are given a desire to repent and to turn from our sin and the ability to, to hate our sin and to, um, to want to obey. But this, it covers all the parts of it so that you, you really recognize that it is sin, that you realize that God has saved you, that you grieve over and hate your sin and turn from it and desire to be obedient. And that is a a very clear picture of what repentance is. And, you know, it's kind of a side note, but, you know, one of those things that when we're working with our children as we're watching them grow and as they begin to profess faith. And this is one of the things, um, you know, one of the fruit of the spirit that I think we should watch for is watching for them uh, to have real repentance in their hearts and in their lives with, with us, with their siblings, with others and how they um, interact with others and, and express uh, what they express about their own sin. I think in some theological circles, they, you know, we've talked before, and we have an episode on the Ordo Salutis you can go back and find, but um, there's some wrong views out there that that make it sound like, well, I have to muster up enough repentance so that God accepts it and then saves me. But um, what Rachel just read, repentance unto, unto life is a saving grace. It is, it is the fruit of God's work in you. One of the things that um, that I always recommend, too, is when you go through some of these confession and catechism questions, we don't mm-hmm. have time to do this on the podcast just for time's sake, but go, I like to go through when I'm um, going through the confession or one of the catechisms and, and look up all the um, proof texts, and you see how everything that's here is coming right from God's Word. It is based on God's Word. So, uh, the Confession of Faith on section six says, as every man is bound to make private confession of his sins to God, praying for the pardon thereof, 
upon which and the forsaking of them he shall find mercy. So he that scandalized his brother or the church of Christ ought to be willing by a private or public confession and sorrow for his sin to declare his repentance to those that are offered, I'm sorry, those that are offended, who are thereupon to be reconciled to him and in love to receive him. I mean, this right here, there, there's so much here, both in what you read and, and even what we're talking about here. So repentance in our lives is both confessing our sins to God, but then also um, confessing our sins. If there's a public sin, you know, some people may have a public sin that has to be confessed publicly or a private sin against a brother or sister. And that has to be um, confessed privately. And, you know, one thing, if, if you're a mom, you'll know what I'm talking about. You know, when one of your children does something to another child and you say, okay, you need to go and apologize for what you did. Sorry. You know, and you're like, okay, well, you're not sorry, <laughs> sorry for that. There's a difference between just, well, I did this thing and I'm sorry and actual true repentance, which is a change of direction. I think we probably all know people that said, oh, well, I'm sorry for that thing, but then continued in it. And so just saying, hey, I did this thing and I'm sorry is not necessarily repentance. Yeah, when we were growing up, um, <laughs> my dad did his um, doctoral work on forgiveness. So it was one of those, I, I feel like we were the, you know, the, the practicum, the, the practical application of what his studies was working with us as kids. Um, but things like we weren't just allowed to go to our go and say, well, I'm sorry. Well, you know, that's okay. Right. That, that kind of talk we weren't allowed to do. Like you said, you know, it's not, I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> uh, but even if, if the response was, well, that's okay. You know, that's not the right response either. So we were supposed to go to each other and say, you know, I'm sorry for this and be specific. Like, I'm sorry that I took your toy when I wasn't, when, when you were using it and I didn't ask you, right. And would you, would you please forgive me? And then the response then is I forgive you because it's, it's more important. It's not just, well, that's okay. It's I forgive you because we need to say it and we need to hear it. Um, and, you know, on top of that, my, my dad it got to the point where he hated it when we would say um, when someone's told to apologize. Right. And the reason is like when we talk about apologetics, like for uh, the faith that apologetics is to, to give a defense. And so, you know, apologizing is like explaining why you did something in my dad's understanding or the way he, the way he took it to explain to us. And so he's always like, no, no, we're not apologizing. We're asking forgiveness. I'm like, ah, okay. <laughs> so it's just funny because, you know, getting into these topics, it, it keeps, there's so many reminders of things that my dad taught us or ways that he encouraged us and things I've tried to teach the kids um, about how to treat each other so that, um, you know, as we get further in this repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation, so that even as kids, they can understand the difference between these and how it works. I think, I think everything you just said right now is a great lesson for anybody. And we did that same thing with our children, but being specific um, when you are confessing and repenting, um, I think both before God and also before your 
before your brother. I, I do want to say, I know that in, in the Wesleyan Arminian circles of my college days, there was almost an idea that you better confess every single little sin. Well, I guarantee you, you don't even know all of your sins of omission. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe how you neglected to love your brother this morning or, you know, and that that's not what I'm saying either, but we should be specific um, in our confession before the Lord. I always think about that in during church and sure, I'm going to the same church as Rachel now, but it's very much um, the same liturgy as pretty much every church I've been in in the last many, many years because OPC very similar, but that time of conf- confession that that we have in the in the corporate worship mm-hmm. liturgy, um, but also being reminded that we are forgiven in Christ. Well, that's you know that's the the root of it, right? That and I'm kind of jumping the gun here on the discussion, but um, we are called to repentance and to forgiveness because we've been forgiven in Christ, we should be forgiving of others. And that's something that's important for us to remember and how we, you know, we want to treat others in the way that we've been treated when it comes to forgiveness and, and repentance. And, you know, it is true. Like, like you said, when one of my kids comes to me or they're talking to their brother and says, you know, I'm sorry. I often have to prompt for what, you know, I'm sorry for, (laughs) you know, Right, <laughs> because it's important that we, you know, I, well, you know, I'm just, I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry I have to come talk to you. I'm sorry that I'm in trouble. You know, all the things that we could be sorry for that you know, don't really, really count as repentance. Um, and I think it's it's helpful to learn these things when we're young to learn how to to repent. Right, say to go to someone and say, because it hurts. It's not fun. Like to go to someone you've sinned against or you've hurt and say, "I am so sorry that I said that and it hurt your feelings. I am so sorry for doing that." Right, or I'm so sorry that I did this thing that that was wrong. Um, but with practice, it gets easier, and it's it's just you know, as they say, confession is good for the soul. It's good for us to do, um, and it. It certainly helps in restoring um, friendships and relationships when we can be honest with each other that way. Well, I think especially in the body of Christ, when we're mindful Mm -hmm. of how the Lord has forgiven us, knowing that, you know, in friendships and marriage and families and that we do sin against one another um, but when someone comes to you, and we will get to forgiveness in a moment, but but also knowing that that friend that you go to is a sinner too. So it is, it can be very humiliating. I just had to uh, apologize to a friend and it, it, it's, it can be difficult to do, but um, mm-hmm. we do it in view of Christ and what he has done for us. So I didn't... <laughs> When I was putting together our outline, I actually switched um, the order just for our our purposes in this discussion. Um, and I'm going to let Rachel read um, section three from Westminster Confession of Faith 16. That's what I was saying. There's there is a modern English version uh, on the OPC website. The language is is very close to the original, um, although it's not like an official. Um, yeah, so ones that my kids memorized 
instead of mm-hmm. the, yeah. So it says, although repentance is not to be relied on as any payment of the penalty for sin or any cause of the pardon of sin, which is God's act of free grace in Christ, yet repentance is so necessary for all sinners that no one may expect pardon without it. I love that so much. It's mm-hmm. so helpful because it does remind us that um, we don't rest in our repentance. Um, it's not making satisfaction for sin, that's through Christ alone, but that it is a part of the Christian's life. You know, um, we had a discussion in a Sunday school class once, uh, it was at a different church, but uh, it was about uh, forgiveness and about the, um, you know, when, when Christ says, or when we pray, you know, forgive us for our debts as we forgive those, right? if we are debtors or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, depending on which version you've memorized. Yeah, if you're um, Lutheran or Reformed. <laughs> just right. Kidding. Or Baptist. Baptist tend to do transgress too. Um, okay. but <laughs> that's the one I learned originally and had to learn. That's the, the one I did too. So I kinda I kinda like it a little bit better, but just preference, <laughs> I guess. But you you get that sense like, well, you know, and, and then people have given sermons this way that if you aren't forgiving others, then God won't forgive you, right? And now we all know that none of us are going to be 100% on forgiveness, right? That none of us are are perfect in any of our ways that we sin uh, or in any of the ways that we should live. Uh, and we sin in everything that we do, you know, every sorts of ways. So it shouldn't be a surprise that we're not going to be um perfect in the ways that we forgive and the ways that we repent. And so I don't think that we should see this as a, as a one-to-one correlation or as a, um, well, God, God's only going to forgive you as much as you forgive other people. It's not, it's not the way God is with us. He's very gracious and forgiving and merciful, even in our shortcomings. Um, but this is something um, that I've, I've written about in a couple of places and forgiveness should be a proof in our life that the spirit is working in us. Um, and we should expect that someone who has the spirit working in them, that they would be able to forgive um, not perfectly, not a hundred percent of the time, maybe not quickly, but you should be able to see, evidence of forgiveness in someone's life because as we all know in our own lives we would not be able to forgive if it, if christ were not uh, if the spirit were not working in our hearts you have um a great quote and we're going to link this in the episode notes but we can see the evidences of our salvation and the forgiveness of our sins in our lives by seeing the fruit of forgiveness towards others. This is one of the proofs that the Spirit is working in us because we know that on our own, we would never forgive others. And I do think knowing that Christ has forgiven us, you know, talking about forgiveness now, knowing that Christ has forgiven us should be a motivation not only for repentance but also for forgiveness 
So again, if you go and look in the Bible dictionary under forgiveness, there is lots because there are different words that are translated into ver- versions of forgive and forgiveness. And so it's a fun study if you want to study that. But I wrote, I wrote down some of the definitions. Um, restor- restoration of relationship that entails the removal of objective guilt putting aside, disregarding, putting away. And I kind of think of it in terms of, you know, that when I've forgiven somebody, the the idea of forgive and forget is completely unrealistic. Like forgetting we're, we're humans, we don't forget, but we don't hold it against that person. We have forgiven that thing. And if we think about the Lord's forgiveness of us, I think it's helpful in thinking of, of how we forgive one another. Yeah. You know, it's the, when God talks about in scripture that he removes our sin as far as the East is from the West. Right. Um, which it's another one of those illustrations from my dad. That, um, if you said North and South, we have a North pole and a South pole. So we can imagine how far the North is from the South, but East and West don't have endpoints, right? That this is the point where East starts. This is the point where West starts. So removing it that far is, you know, it's, truly removed from us right like it's yes. as far as it is gone it's gone um but of course you know as you said it's not like when god forgives us it's not like he he somehow loses the ability to remember what we've done right like he's he's not for, forgetful in the sense of you know his memory has been wiped but he doesn't hold it against us anymore and that's you know what we're called to yes we we will remember that you know our um, say our, our kids um, were playing ball in the house after we asked them not to and they broke your favorite vase, right? We will remember that that happened, right? Yes. But, you know, you don't hold it over your kids and say this to them like every time you sit down at the table, well, you know, you broke my vase. You know, th- that's unkind. Um, so there is forgiveness and the, the forgetfulness is that we just intentionally and uh, with effort on our part, don't hold it against someone anymore. I think that sometimes, and you can see this in marriages or with kids Mm -hmm. where somebody says, yes, I forgive you, but then something else happens. And then they want to bring up that thing that they said, you know, so they, they broke your favorite vase and now they um, took some candy from the cupboard without asking. And you're like, yeah, not only did you take the candy from the cupboard, you also broke my face last week. You know, if you've said, I forgive you, that isn't something that you bring up that you are continuing to hold against them as guilty. Right. Right. Now, as we'll get into more, when we get into reconciliation with forgiveness and repentance and not holding it against someone. It doesn't mean that we don't have uh, take care or there aren't changes made in relationships and like using the, the story again, the analogy of our illustration of our, our children playing ball in the house. We might remind them the next time they pick up a ball in the house, Hey, you know, let's not do that for what happened last time. Right. And that's not holding it in an unforgiving way. Right. But that's just a, let's remember that some things are bad ideas, right. Or, nothing good could come from this. And there are lots of situations in our lives and we can get into that a little bit later where we have to make some decisions where we have forgiven someone, but there still need to be 
needs to be some boundaries and guidelines on our relationship. Sometimes there are natural consequences, you know, if you get Mm -hmm. pulled over for speeding and you say, "Um, I'm really sorry, officer, will you forgive me? (laughs) He's not going to go, oh, sure. I guess I won't give you a a ticket. You know, there are consequences, even even at times when there's been forgiveness, there's still still consequences. You may forgive your child for breaking the vase, but say, you know, you're going to have to use some of your allowance money to replace it. And this is something that I think we should link, but um, when um, Rachel Denhollander gave her, her um, victim statement uh, against Larry Nasser, and she, she spoke about forgiveness and she spoke very clearly about, about her own heart towards him, right. And forgiveness, but also her recognition that justice needed to take place and that he needed to repent. Right. That so she she really clearly laid out both her own sense of things and how she viewed it, what she was willing to do, how God views things, and how you know this responsibility that Nasser has to repent, and how none of that would take away the the appropriate judicial punishment for his actions. Right. That these are their act there are consequences, legal consequences for what he's done. And you know, I think that it's a just a really beautiful example. It's funny you should mention that because as we were preparing for this week's episode, I thought about that so many times. Um, periodically, I'll go and watch it just because she did such a great job of um, talking about that. Um, so, on the shorter catechism, question 105 how do we pray in the fifth petition? And, you know, Rachel was talking about the Lord's Prayer, and that's what this is referring to. This is the section of the catechism where it goes through each petition of the Lord's Prayer. But in the fifth petition, which is, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, we pray that God, for Christ's sake, would freely pardon all our sins, which we are the rather encouraged to ask, because by this grace, we are enabled from the heart to forgive others. And that's what I was talking about with repentance. When you um, are in view of God's grace and um, that you have been forgiven. Um, it, it really is kind of motivation to forgive others. I think it makes it easier to forgive others because we know um, how much we've been forgiven. Hmm. Like the, um, the parable, you know, Jesus gives about the man who'd been forgiven, but then he turned around and was unforgiving. And you know, that's the the call that you know, those who've been forgiven much uh, are forgiving because we realize you know where we stand, and we can we can pass that forgiveness and grace on to others. That sense of we know what it means to be forgiven. Ephesians four thirty two excuse me says, "Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you." Uh, yeah, that pretty much sums it up. <laughs> it's one of the things that I pray with the kids is that we would be forgiving of others as we've been forgiven. Um, because it's just a good reminder because we have been forgiven so much. Yeah, and I recommend if you've never gone through both Heidelberg Catechism and um, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, actually Westminster Larger Catechism, I, I think does also. Um goes through each of the petitions and you see how applicable 
the Lord's Prayer really is to us mm-hmm. in our everyday lives. So from Heidelberg Catechism, what do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? That God, for the sake of Christ's satisfaction, will no more remember my sins, nor the sinful nature with which I have to struggle all my life long, but graciously imputes to me the righteousness of Christ that I may never more come into condemnation. It's a good description of God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of others being in view of that. Yeah, that that Heidelberg question answer is the the one that my uh, teen boys were working on at the end of the school year. It's fun to see it again. Um, uh, It's just that promise that God will not remember our sins anymore, and nor the sinful nature with which I have to struggle all my life long. That's just amazing. Just the recognition that it is our struggle all our lives, but God will not remember it anymore because of Christ's satisfaction. Um, Heidelberg is so encouraging. It it really is. It's just beautiful. Um, My uh, campus minister gave a sermon at a reunion on uh, the God of peace, and I've shared it on my blog before. Um, He talks about this, that, we're at peace with God and to be at peace with God, you know, this is the, you know, God's not angry with us. Right? God is not wrathful or holding our sin against us. And that peace is, is just beautiful. And it's such encouragement. So Rachel, in something you wrote, you had this wonderful quote from Calvin, and I don't know that I'd seen it before, but I absolutely love it. Um, I can even put it in the episode notes. Well, actually, I'll put what you wrote in the episode notes, and that it will be in there. The forgiveness which we ask that God would give us does not depend on the forgiveness which we grant to others, but the design of Christ was to exhort us in this manner to forgive the offenses which have been committed against us, and at the same time to give, as it were, the impression of his seal to ratify the confidence in our own forgiveness. Christ did not intend to point out the cause, but only to remind us of the feelings which we ought to cherish toward brethren when we desire to be reconciled to God. That's just that beautiful picture that we're talking about because we have been forgiven that we forgive one another. And it's a good reminder that forgiveness is not a work in the sense that it's not something that our salvation depends on, right? Our salvation is secure in Christ and his work, but because of uh, the work that uh, the spirit is doing in our hearts, we are made uh, able and willing to forgive others and you know, again, as, as we said, it's that evidence of the work, uh, the fruit of the Spirit. So there's a couple things that Rachel and I wanted to talk about in regards to forgiveness. And and Rachel is like such an expert on this because I think of her dad's work on the subject. But one of the things we we wanted to talk about is in regards to um, in forgiveness, There there's an idea that's very common in our society, a kind of unconditional forgiveness. So someone that you just forgive everything and everyone, you'll see it 
um, a lot if there's something in the news where like the the shooting at the Amish school right yes remember it being with that one so that yeah. someone will come out and say well I forgive this person but that's not really the biblical view I'm gonna let you talk about it because you're really knowledgeable about this well like that example you know so you have the and I remember this the Amish parents that came out and said you know well, we forgive the shooter and you know, on the one hand, right, we, we want to encourage others or Christians to be willing to forgive and to be um, open to, you know, reconciliation. And um, you don't want to hold on to anger and bitterness and hatred. Um, it's for forgiveness to, to take place, for, for true biblical forgiveness, there needs to be repentance. So and that's and that's the difference between like what you saw with um, those and I'm not bad mouthing the Amish families that said what they did. I'm just pointing to the difference in understanding about forgiveness. It's the difference between what those families and many others like them have said publicly versus um, Rachel Den Hollander's statement, where you know she spoke about forgiveness, but she also called him to repentance and did not. Um, you know, didn't say that is the consequences should go away, right? You know, it's it's a balanced approach and a balanced picture of what it means uh, to forgive and to repent. And you see it in the verse, uh, it's from Luke, I think 17, 3. Uh, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him, right? And that's, the order there is important. You know, if someone is not repentant, you really can't forgive them. You can be willing to forgive. You can be open to it. You can be, you know, not holding on to any bitterness or anger or even hurt over the situation, but there can't be, you know, forgiveness until there is repentance. And that is the same picture that we see, um, you know, well, well, it's true that the, that God loved us while we were sinners, that he sent Christ to die for us while we were sinners, that, um, he gives us faith and repentance right, in our, we are given um, you know, the, 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 we're given faith and we're given the ability to repent. And these are gifts of his grace. He does not forgive the unrepentant. I mean, you think about those who continue in their sin all their lives and never repent. The truly unrepentant are not going to receive forgiveness. Um, now that's not something that should scare us as believers. As believers, we have been, um, we have the work of the, the Spirit in us, and as we've read in several places here, we have been given Christ's righteousness, and we have been given a heart that is willing to repent and that does repent. So this is not something that we need to be afraid of. But um, you know, there's not a second chance when you get to heaven and God says, "Well." Okay, you never did repent, but now um, I'm going to forgive you anyway. You know, that's that's not the way it works with him. So we should not call um, believers in particular, should not call other believers um, to a type of forgiveness that God himself doesn't do. And, you know, now, as we said, when you're dealing with something and there is, and particularly with like grievous sins, um, against you, um, and the person is 
unlikely to ever be repentant. As I said, you will not be able to get to a point of, of forgiveness where you can say, you know, they repent, I forgive you. You won't have that. But you can um, let go of the hurt. You can um, ask God to help you uh, not hold anger and bitterness and um, not hold on to um, the pain of it. Um and to have and to help you have a heart willing to forgive if it ever comes to that. But uh, until the person repents, forgiveness is just not possible. You know, one of the things I wanted to say too, since we've talked about abuse a lot, is I see some just warped views of of forgiveness out there, even of you that's like, oh, well, if you're still struggling with your abuse, it's because you haven't forgiven. Um, that person and just some stuff like that. And it's just, I think it just does damage. Um, so in, in situations like that, um, you know, you're not called to unconditional forgiveness. And then that means that you will never struggle again with the hurt. That's, that's not how that works. Um, I know it's difficult. Hopefully you find somebody, if you are that person, that you find somebody with a um, a biblical perspective to help you work through that. But even, even in other situations, if you've been hurt by somebody, even though, and they are, they do come, and maybe it's something that's a really big deal thing, and they do come and they are repentant and you forgive them, it doesn't mean that the hurt just automatically disappears. Sometimes it takes a while to, um, and even when you forgive somebody, if somebody has been unfaithful in some way or any number of things, sometimes even though you forgive them, it can take a while to trust them again. You know, those are all different things you have to work towards um, when you're dealing with some serious sins against you. Um, one of the things that forgiveness does not mean that you are necessarily going to continue in the relationship the same way. Um, sometimes, you know, it, so much of this ha- has to be navigated with wisdom. And if you have one of those situations in your life, ho- hopefully you have a good pastor you can go to and say, I'm not sure how to navigate this correctly and I'm struggling. And how do I forgive this repentant person and not feel hurt anymore? Or, and, let me tell you, if you are somebody that's been hurt, um, that there there is comfort in Christ. But sometimes it can take a while to work through some of those things. And sometimes we've even talked about professional counseling and in some situations. But forgiveness doesn't mean um, that sometimes you feeling hurt is a consequence of the sin that's been done against you. Um, And feeling hurt does not mean you're not trusting in the Lord, too. I've heard that. You can still hurt and you can still grieve, even if you've come to a place where there's been repentance and forgiveness. If you are still hurting, it doesn't mean you're not forgiving. You can be, you truly forgive someone and still dealing with the the fallout and the consequences of actions and behavior um, that, that may take time. Um, and effort um, and forgiveness and repentance it's it's more than just about words if someone 
says the words to you all, well, you know, I, please forgive me because I, um, I was abusive to you in this way, but their actions don't change, then, you know, it's reasonable to say it is not, you are not, you know, keeping a record of wrongs if you point out that they continue to do this and they never change, that you're just pointing out the fact that their, their words and their actions don't match up, right? Um, and that there is no, they're not making any actual attempt to rectify the behaviors, um, so I want, we want to be careful that this, we're not calling on people who have been harmed and who are in dangerous situations to, um, to be open to continuing a relationship um, when it's not safe. Yeah, that's, that's a, good, a good point. And there's a difference between, let's say you have a friend that has a problem with lying. And it's just really a struggle of theirs. And they're absolutely a believer, but this is a struggle. And they're, you know, growing in their faith. And, and they lie to you and they come and they are repentant. And let's say they lie to you again because they're struggling with it is would be different than, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. And I'm just going to continue on in it. Because all of us know that when, that we all have sin struggles. Uh, I know I do. And, um, and I can, I can, be repentant before God uh, about coveting and still struggle with coveting and be repentant before God again. But I am growing. The Lord is sanctifying me. So it's not, I, I wish we would just stop sinning overnight, but um, <laughs> that's, yeah. For Yeah, because one of the things, you know, we do sometimes suffer the consequences of our sin. Um, you know, there's natural consequences. Um, but sometimes we also suffer the consequences of other people's sin, and it's mm-hmm. it's really difficult. When we're talking about forgiveness and repentance, you know, we're talking about things. This is not a you must follow this formal process every time something happens. So, when we live close in close contact with each other, especially in marriage and family um, or close friends and churches, we're going to do things regularly right there are ways in which i call it like stepping on each other's toes it's going to happen it's not intentional necessarily it's just you know the way it is because we're sinners and we're living and working in close proximity and for a lot of those things um i think that the the verse that talks about love covers a multitude of sins that there really is a place for that where um we don't you know, bring up every little thing that ever happened between us. Excuse me, Colleen and I were talking about, can you imagine, you know, you know, if you had to tell your kids everything and every time or your spouse, everything and every time, I mean, all we would be doing all day is saying, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Please forgive me. I'm sorry. You did this thing. I'm sorry. It, it just, it would be constant. Right. And so there's a lot of it where we can say, you know, they didn't mean it. It's not a big deal. And I'm just going to let it go and continue to, to love them and uh, work with them and not be, not hold it against them. Now, if it's something that really hurts, like your, your feelings are hurt, you're going to think about this because it's really hurtful. It's appropriate to go to someone and say, I know you may not have meant it when you did it, but when you said this, it really hurt my feelings. And in a good relationship, the other person will say, you know, I'm really sorry. You're right. I didn't mean it that way, but I am sorry. And I don't want my, didn't mean to hurt you. And, you know, those kinds of conversations should be a, a regular part of our lives uh, as we work with each other. 
you know what? We actually, I, I feel like in marriage um, mm-hmm. that my husband and I have learned and grown from those conversations. You know, um, if I say, wow, I'm really sorry, I didn't mean to to say that. It also makes me more sensitive to the way I speak to him um, in the future. Like, okay, I need to be really careful. Um, I wasn't careful with my words. One of the things that we know is that we're supposed to be gracious. And I think of that in terms of not confronting every little tiny sin of omission and sin of commission. Like, you you didn't, you know, like, especially sins of omission, you you weren't thinking of me there or something. Um, you know, if we, we neglect to love our neighbors ourselves on the regular, I'm sure, and we're growing in that. One of the things I think of is sometimes even in regards to my children, where sometimes when maybe a little extra grace is necessary, necessary. And I remember a friend telling me, you know, when your child is sick and at first they just want cuddles they're they don't feel well at all. And they're, they just want to mm-hmm. lay around. They're lethargic. They just, they just want to cuddle and for you to rub their back and, and stuff like that. But then they get between feeling totally better and being lethargic and they're little ornery. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and you're like, okay, I know they aren't feeling well. You know, we do that, can do that in marriage too. If you're not feeling well, maybe you're short with your spouse. And I think of times like that, okay, I need to be a little great, a little extra grace here with my child who I know isn't feeling well, just feeling well enough to be ornery right now. Um, <laughs> you know, we, I think we have opportunities for that too, just in everyday life in being gracious. If you know a friend is going through a really difficult time and you feel like maybe they haven't been there for you in the ways that you've been there for them, being being understanding and patient and gracious just every day. Should we talk about we recon- talk. reconciliation? So uh, all of these things obviously kind of flow together. And um. I think sometimes people talk about reconciliation and forgiveness like they're the same thing, but they they are different things. Um, so, um, again, with the Bible dictionary, because I like to do that in my Bible study, the meaning common to this word group is change or exchange. Re- reconciliation involves a change in the relationship between God and man or man and man. It assumes there has been a breakdown in the relationship, but now there has been a change from the state of enmity and fragmentation to one of harmony and fellowship. I actually really liked that definition from the um, Bible dictionary. Yeah, it's like what uh, my campus minister said about there being peace, right? It's that there is, we're not at war, we're, we have peace with each other. Uh, or with God. Um, and that's a very important part. And you're right that there really is a difference, although we mess it, we confuse them a lot in our culture. There's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Um, there's a quote you have here from Michael Horton. Um, this is an article from, um, is it from his book, The Gospel Driven Life? Yes. Okay. It says, often repentance is more broadly defined to include actual change in character and behavior, but scripture would describe this as the fruit of repentance or deeds consistent with repentance. And that's what we were talking about that, you know, besides repentance, besides forgiveness, there, when you're talking about reconciliation, there needs to be um, fruit of repentance or um, 
deeds that are consistent with repentance and, and an actual change in behavior and character, depending on the sin. I wanted to briefly talk about Matthew 18. Um, I feel like we talked about Matthew 18 a little bit um, in one of our episodes, and I cannot remember which one. How? Oh, I think it was with Scott and Laura, sometimes how it's misused. Uh, and there mm-hmm. is uh, a, a lot of instances of that, unfortunately, especially when you're talking about abuse in the church. You know, Matthew 18, you know, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have one your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you um, and so on and so forth. And obviously, the goal of this is repentance, forgiveness and reconciliation. But I I think there's sometimes maybe wrong views of how it's how it's used. I was even thinking I I hear some weird stories (laughs) Um, where um, you have an abuse victim who, you know, a woman who's being abused and she leaves and and then now it's as if her sin is the greatest and it's used in that way. So th- there is um, abuses of Matthew 18, um, but in a basic everyday sense. So I don't want people to think, you know, also like what we were talking about earlier, we don't go and confront each other of every little tiny thing um Mm -hmm. and then go and bring the elders she hurt my feelings the other day and i confronted her and she didn't repent i mean that's not that's not what it's about these are serious sins that we're dealing with yeah it's important to you matthew 18 covers one type of of sin and relationship right it doesn't cover all aspects of sin and forgiveness and repentance and reconciliation it's you know, it's one one way. There are other ways in scripture that yes. um, that deal with different types of, of behavior and sins. Um, you know, this is this is particularly between two believers, and it's a, a personal sin. And you know, that not talking about like you know public te- public false teaching or um, you know criminal offenses. This is it's different. Um, because it's um, it's about a different type of of um, relationship and situation. I think you and I have both dealt with when we're talking about false teachers and false doctrine. Somebody that comes and says, "Well, did you follow Matthew 18?" That's n- not what Matthew 18 is about. When there's right. a public teacher that I don't even know, I'm not going to go to him and say you're teaching false doctrine. That's publicly teaching theological error. Right, which is the difference between being personally sinned against versus addressing public teaching. It, it, it's it's a different situation. So if I was at Rachel's house one day and I stole her favorite diamond bracelet, <laughs> she knew, and then <laughs> she was at my my house <laughs> and she sees it and Colleen, you stole my favorite bracelet, and. Mm-hmm. And then I lied to her face and said, no, I didn't. It's mine. I'm just making something up. And she confronted me and I was not repentant. Then, you know, that might be a time to go to the pastor and say, hey, I have an issue here. Um, Not for every little sin. I kind of think of this more as serious um, and or ongoing sins. Mm -hmm. One of the things, too, is reconciliation is not always possible. 
And yes. we talked about forgiveness as not always possible. Right. This is, yeah, this is a thing I've seen, again, some really warped views when, especially when we're talking about abuse, where somebody thinks they need to reconcile with their abuser. That is not a safe situation or a wise situation to do that. Right. Or even, like we said, you're dealing with an abuse, abusive marriage. And the one spouse who's been the abuser says the right words. And so, well, oh, I, I'm sorry now, right? But nothing changes. And then people want the abused spouse to, to go back, right? And, and you know, that's, that's not what we're called to. We're called to wisdom. We are called to, um, to being gentle, but wise and, um, I think we need to be more careful about how we handle those kinds of situations. I think you bring up an important point, too, that sometimes if there's been an ongoing sin of some sort and somebody's like, okay, I'm sorry, now you just have to forgive me. Sometimes it can even take time to be convinced mm-hmm. that somebody is truly repentant because repentance isn't just saying I'm sorry. Um, it's a change of direction. But, and when you are when you really have done something and you really are repentant, uh, you should be willing to wait for that time, right? Like to, to, to be respectful that it's going to take time to restore a relationship. That's, that's a great point because reconciliation isn't necessarily an overnight thing. You know, sometimes it, it requires seeing repentance, building up trust again and, and, and those sorts of things. So we, I think that's all we have for you today. We have several resources, which I will put in the episode notes, I think on all of these subjects, the confession and catechism is helpful. I love the parallel in what the Lord has done for us as an example for how we uh, forgive one another. I will put everything in the episode notes. Uh, if there's any subject you'd like us to talk about, feel free to reach out to one of us or email us at theologygals at gmail.com. That's always in Um, each episode I have all the contact information so we will see you next week